This is episode number 161 from the Helping of Happiness podcast. Today we have on Caitlin Robertson from the Refugee Services of Texas to talk to us all about easy ways that we can help serve refugees. Hi, I'm Hillary Hess, and you're listening to Helping of Happiness. I am a crazy mom of seven kids who loves to build memories through eating delicious family recipes and going on adventures with my family. On this podcast, you'll be introduced to light-filled people and ideas that inspire me to be a better mom and help me bring family closer together and closer to Jesus Christ. Hello and Merry Christmas. It's so fun to be back with you today. I am super excited to in- introduce you to our guest, Caitlin Robertson, today. Caitlin is fantastic. She's from the Refugee Services of Texas. You guys may remember a couple, few months ago, we did a bake sale for the Refugees Services of Texas to help raise money for the Afghan refugees that were rushed in here at the last minute during the Afghan crisis. And I just love this topic and I'm really excited to share this with you in December because I feel like December is such a great month of service. Our family's really been enjoying to do Light the World from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It's an advent calendar where every day there's a different small act of service. So this fits right in with the things that I've been thinking about this month. Also, just a little side note, in our newsletter going out is going to be our Christmas cookie catalog. We're going to have some new cookies added to that this year, so make sure you check that out. If you're not a subscriber to our newsletter, go ahead and go in the show notes there. There will be a little link where you can subscribe, and you can get the little password that takes you to our freebie resource library. Our freebie resource library houses tons of our recipes, all of our different menu guides, whether that be for Christmas or Thanksgiving or Easter or Cinco de Mayo. It also has chore charts, free printables, you name it. There's so much on there. Menu planning. I mean, it's it's chock full. So head over there and... Let's go ahead and have you meet Caitlin. Okay, well, I'm super excited to have Caitlin Robertson on. Thank you so much for being with us from Refugee Services of Texas, which I have loved your organization for years. We have done lots of different fundraisers and things for you guys, and I just couldn't say more about your organization. So, but before we get into a little bit more about what you do, will you tell us a little bit about you and your family and then a little bit about what you do with, I don't know, you want to call it RST or Yeah, RST for sure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I might go, I might go back and forth between the two refugee services of Texas or, or RST. No, thanks for having me on your podcast. I was really excited about this. So, and, it, and it's so great to hear support or support from the community. I think that's been the most heartwarming thing of this whole period of time that's been so challenging for all resettlement agencies, but hearing how much the community appreciates our work and how much they've come around the work and supported it in every way that they possibly could, fulfilling our Amazon wish list and volunteering with us, forming those welcome teams, it's been incredible. But I won't get ahead of myself. I'll, I'll tell about <laughs> I'll tell about my family. I am a mom of four. I have a 13 year old. I have twins in the middle, and then I have a seven year old, three boys and a girl. And um, the girl is fire and spice and everything nice. <laughs> With three big brothers, she's crazy. But we yeah we have just a busy family. We're in those middle years. And, and I, and I'm liking the middle years a lot. I feel like I'm, you know, moved past the diapering trenches. Yes. I did have three in diapers at one point because my twins and my youngest, my, my surprise girl was a surprise. And so they are 21 months apart. So I had three under the age of two and um, those were refining years and ultimately, like I'll always look back and probably probably see it as the hardest season of my life, but also incredibly valuable time because it really did help me get in touch with the passion in my heart, what my values were, what I wanted to do for the rest of my life when I was dreaming of not changing <laughs> diapers all day and doing the dishes all day and keeping up with the laundry. And by the way, I was listening to podcasts during that time to survive. <laughs> We all need a friend when we're going through all of that. And I think listening to a podcast, it's like your friend in your ear, right? Yeah, exactly. 
So back in um, 2016, I was really moved by what was happening with the travel ban. I saw, you know, I saw pictures on the television of families stranded in airports, not being able to reunite with their families or on their way to another country and then getting stopped and not able to travel. The injustice of all of it really stirred my heart. And at that time, I just, I I went to the protest. We were living in Boston and I went to the protest in Boston and I was, I was really struck by the passion of the crowd and the opportunity to harness energy for good. And I thought, you know, if we all come out and we all say, you know, no travel ban and all are welcome, what does that look like in practice? And what are we doing to harness this energy to actually affect change, not just to protest, but to do something good with it? And so I started looking for refugee-led organizations in the Boston area that I could support as a volunteer. At the time, my younger ones were in preschool. And so I went to one organization and I said, look, I have the hours of the day that my kids are in preschool. It's about 20 hours a week and I will give it to you. Um, Tell me what you need. And those 20 hours are yours. That's what started me into fundraising and and mobilizing people for good. And I didn't even think of it as a potential career pivot. I was trained as an elementary teacher and and I had different teaching experiences over the years, but I wasn't expecting at that point to to make a career change. Mm -hmm. I also knew that I didn't want to go back to the classroom. I knew that I was passionate about refugee issues. And I started, I also went to the library and I checked out every book that I could on the refugee crisis in Europe. Um, At the time, 2016, that was 2015, 16, kind of the height of it. And I, I just started reading everything I could find on refugee issues. So then when 2019 rolled around and my youngest was entering kindergarten, I thought, okay, this is my chance to go back to school <laughs> myself and, and get the training that I need to, to make a change and be able to do work to support refugees. And so I, um, our, our back to school picture that year, all the kids are lined up in their you know, respective grades and I'm holding up my sign, you know, mommy's going to grad school. <laughs> Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. Yeah. So it was, it was great. I did an incredible program that let me focus on immigrant and refugee advocacy. And, um, and that's what I made the focus of my program. I stayed under the education umbrella. So my master's is master's of education, but yeah, then I, then the pandemic happened. So I also didn't get to have a graduation 2020. Um, (laughs) so I, um, I then expanded my job search because we realized my husband could work remotely. He um, is in the biotech world Mm -hmm. and expanding my job search. I started looking at where's the front lines of the U S migration story. And it really is arguably California and Texas. Mm -hmm. And so I, I looked for um, job opportunities in both states, and now my dog's going to cry in the background. So <laughs> anybody hears a, a whimpering puppy in the background, she's um, she does not like the mowers going on, so she's going <laughs> to whine at us. So yeah, so I, I found Refugee Services of Texas, and I looked at their website, and I looked at the diverse board they have with former refugees and immigrants on the board. And I thought, you know, they're centering the right voices. They're bringing the right people to the table to make decisions for the populations we serve. And I was really, really interested in the work they do. So I applied for a job and and that's how I ended up here. Now, second year in, I my role with RST is now the director of major gifts, which is just a fancy way of saying that I visit with corporations and foundations and individual donors um, who support us in in building the capacity of the organization. And I get to do a fair amount of advocacy and education in the community, which I absolutely love. Um, And I work between Austin and Dallas mostly, but I am able to travel to all of our different sites. And we are in 
six sites in Texas and we just expanded, which is this, the six, six big cities. And we just expanded to San Antonio. That is so great. Situation. Yeah. Oh, that's so great to hear. I love that. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I've been so grateful for my time at RST, all the experiences here, the wonderful people I work with, um, our incredible clients who are just absolutely most beautiful, resilient human beings, um, that really, you know, inspire us to pull through long work days and, um, you know, hustling for, all that we have to do right now, because the U.S. resettlement program was extremely damaged over the last four years. It was so crippled that of the around 300 agencies around the country, about 100 of them closed during the last four years. That's a lot. And, you know, we because refugee resettlement is a presidential determination, So the president determines every year by executive order how many refugees will be resettled. Well, if the president drops the number down, like what happened in the Trump years, he brought it to the historic low of 15,000. On average, the U.S. has resettled 95,000 a year. So it it was a drastic cut and many agencies just couldn't survive that. Um, And we were fortunate at RST, we have a lot of different programs. I think I mentioned we serve all displaced populations. So we have a robust survivors of trafficking empowerment program that's called STEP. We have an asylum seeker assistance program, ASAP. We have an unaccompanied minor program in Houston. Um, We have immigration legal services that help clients step through that green card process on towards citizenship. Um, And of course the resettlement program. So the diversifying our services kept us afloat where other agencies that just did resettlement had a, had a more difficult time. Oh, I'm learning so much. I feel like I've known a little about your organization, but I guess it's just opening up so many things I'd never really thought about before. And I didn't realize that the, that they had been cut back that much. I mean, a third, that's a lot. That is a ton. Wow. Okay. So now what the little s- dog is going to bark. Oh my, this is just going <laughs> to be fun. Course. When you interview a mom with four kids and two dogs, um, this is, this is real fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, luckily I am also a mom of seven kids and three turtles. So the turtles oh, luckily aren't that noisy, but the seven <laughs> kids are very noisy. So I, we do what we do and we just do what we can, right? That's right. Carry we on. Do what we can. Keep we carry on. Carry on. <laughs> Yes. We're regardless, we're going to talk about this. So that's right. <laughs> so tell me, what are some reasons that people are fleeing from their countries to come to America for help? Cause I think some people don't like just yeah. person, maybe not realize why people are coming here. What's happening. Right. Right. Well, and I think it helps to define the two main categories of people that do move into other countries A refugee is someone who is forced out of their home country. They were forced to flee and they are, you know, they're, they're fleeing danger. They're fleeing persecution and they were forced out. An immigrant is someone who's moving toward opportunity. I think the thing that is important for the public to understand though, is, you know, kind of this um, gray area as, you know, if a country has economic instability, if there's extreme poverty, extreme violence, climate change. There's a number of different push factors that that do force people to seek better opportunities or flee really bad opportunities. And so those two groups can blend and, you know, and end up having very similar motivations for leaving. So our asylum seekers, many of our asylum seekers, even though they haven't been granted refugee status, they are fleeing danger and they need help. They need protection. But a refugee is a specific legally defined status that provides access to benefits and the ability to work immediately when they are resettled. And it's defined by the 1951 Convention for Refugees. And those reasons for fleeing are um, a well-founded fear of in, in f- five categories. So persecution, um, political affiliation, 
with um, either membership in a social group or membership with a, a particular political affiliation, race, nationality, and religion. And so those are the main reasons why people are persecuted and flee. And um, you might notice in that definition, though, it doesn't it doesn't list climate change or gender identity, um, sexual orientation. And so there, you know, now with whole swaths of land not being arable, not being farmable anymore, there's more and more people leaving because of because of that um, climate disruption. And that's going to ch- kind of change the landscape, too, of people that need protection and need access to um, better opportunities. Oh, that's a lot of different reasons for needing to, to find some help. So take me through the resettlement process, because we've had people come to our church from your organization and explain how to get involved more in the resettlement process. And I've had little babies at home so far, so I haven't had a chance to get as deeply involved as I want. But my kids are all going to be in school next year for the first time in 20 years. So I can actually, you know, have a little bit more time. And those listening might have a lot more time to do something like that, too. So what, what's that process? Do you mind walking us through that and what happens and what you do and then what we can do? Yeah. Yeah. So let me, let me back up and explain kind of the whole resettlement process. There are multiple steps and it's a years long process from the time that a refugee is identified as a refugee by UNHCR, the United Nations High Commission for, Ref- for um, Refugees. And, and then there's a lengthy vetting process that's a nine-step process. There's years-long wait, um, medical clearances, all kinds of hurdles they have to jump through before a refugee is ever given the option of resettlement. And so it's not like uh, these guys are just running, jumping on a plane. We don't know who no. they are or where they've been, and they're just jumping in our country. It's not like that at all. No, it is a lengthy, lengthy Um, legal process. And refugees are the most vetted category of people on the planet. (laughs) Maybe besides like, you know, high ranking um, government officials and and military. But I, you know, I, it's, I mean, it's not something to joke about, but I think I can't even remember three addresses ago, I would not be able to even get through the process, the interview process where everything has to match up perfectly. And you have to remember every detail of your life. You have to remember every detail of the traumatic circumstances that forced you to flee. And, you know, the brain, the brain is very good at protecting ourselves from trauma and, you know, you can go blank. Especially if it's been years. I mean, that's really hard. Yes, exactly. And it's also important for all of us to understand that, you know, of the around 26 million refugees worldwide, less than 1% are ever resettled. So it's an extremely small, you know, fraction of the refugees that are ever resettled. And that's not even looking at the overall number of displaced people worldwide, which is around 74 million right now. Um, so 26 million of those are refugees, 50% are children. I always point that out as the mother and, um, and less than, less than 1% are resettled. Most people end up fleeing to countries proximate to the conflict. So if you think about a recent conflict, let's look at Syria. Uh, Most of the refugees from Syria fled into Lebanon, Jordan, Turkey, Um, Some made their way into Europe from Turkey, but most of them ended up in Lebanon and Jordan. And that happens in every conflict worldwide. They flee proximate to the conflict. But that also means that in an area, a region of the world that's already experiencing a lot of economic instability or political instability, it only further destabilizes the region. Um, and they're fleeing to countries that all may be facing, you know, huge economic um, pressures and political unrest. I think about Lebanon all the time because they're really, really struggling right now. And they took in a million, over a million Syrian refugees and their whole economy is collapsed. So 
um, not because of the refugees. They were collapsing anyway um, because right. of political But that pressure corruption. doesn't help, right? Yes, exactly. But it's not the wealthiest nations in the world that are responding to the need. It is the, it is often um, developing countries or even underdeveloped that end up welcoming the most displaced people. And so, yeah, many people, most people don't get to go back to their home country. That's called repatriation. And that's rare that that happens. Um, Many are just internally displaced. They may flee to a nearby village or another area of the country or, you know, flee within the region. Um, And then very, very few are resettled. So right now, the average wait for resettlement is between 10 and 26 years which is just, I mean, think about our, our kids, you know, that's for children that were born in conflict and fled and are waiting in a camp that could be their entire childhood. And often their schooling is disrupted. There's many years where they're, you know, waiting, um, without, with, with disrupted education. So it's just not ideal in so many ways. Um, but those who are resettled after that 10 to 26 year wait, they, um, once they arrive here, the office of refugee resettlement ORR are the ones that then determine who is assigned to the nine national resettlement agencies. They're all, um, they're all faith affiliated agencies. I just point that out because I think it's kind of special that the US resettlement program was set up by all these different faith entities. There's a Jewish agency and a Catholic agency and um, a Lutheran agency, all these different faith affiliated agencies. And they kind of build the backbone of the resettlement, the resettlement system in the US. And then there are the, the local affiliates. So Refugee Services of Texas is an affiliate, and we answer to three of the nationals, Church World Service, Lutheran Immigration Refugee Services, and Immigration, or um, oh, I'm going to go blank. It's EMM, um, Episcopalian Migration Ministries, I think. <laughs> so those are our three nationals and they um, then determine, you know, how many refugees we get and what cities they're going to be resettled in. And of course, you know, we get feedback. Um, but I can tell you right now during the Afghan situation, we didn't get to give a lot of input. It was like, they're coming. Okay. They're arriving. Find the apartment. Also sudden. I mean, how much notice did you guys even have? Was it like uh, in some hours? cases we had four hours notice. Normally, you know, we have days, weeks, um, and in in some cases, it was down to four hours, um, in a lot of cases, 24 hours notice. And um, like in San Antonio, we just opened there and they already sent the clients there to stay with U.S. ties. So other Afghan family, extended family. And we just hired the area director this week and we're just staffing up. We don't even have offices. We're going to be in a church basement um, and serving the clients through, <laughs> through this, the welcome of this church that's, that's supporting our mission during these really unprecedented times. So, you know, we, we tell supporters, this is not typical resettlement. This is almost like working in a crisis, yeah. um, or a disaster relief zone. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's made it, you know, it's made it very, very challenging. We're, we're on, uh, we're on a trajectory to go from the lowest we've ever resettled in the history of our program. Um, and refugee services in Texas have been around about 43 years. So we're about to go from the lowest we've ever resettled to the highest in about a six week period of time, (laughs) six weeks. Oh my goodness. That is so crazy. So I was in Austin last week and our, our community engagement coordinator there, she said, um, we set up 55 apartments in five weeks. So that brings me to how people can be involved through a vast volunteer network. We do use volunteers to pick up families from the airport, bring them to their first apartment. Um, We use volunteers to set up the apartments and they form welcome teams and furnish the apartment and get it all set up and ready, prepare hot meals. So they have a hot 
and culturally sensitive meal um, when they arrive, something that would taste, you know, somewhat familiar to them. Yeah, because that's really hard when something that is comforting to us is completely foreign to them. You know, I'm thinking if I was displaced and sent to some African country, their comfort food would just be so strange and different to me. I don't think I would feel very as welcomed, you know, if it wasn't my own food. Yeah, definitely. And we certainly don't want to give the American processed <laughs> some really Velveeta cheese and chips. <laughs> right, exactly. And they're used to hot rice and um and chicken and so on. So we try, you know, we try to give them a warm meal. And um, and then we use volunteers for ESL to help with language supports. And we have an awesome group of volunteers right now running a sewing initiative in both Austin and Dallas where they're doing a women's empowerment group and teaching them English while they teach them sewing skills. Oh, cool. That's yeah, neat. that's really great. But yeah, that's, that's just so kind incredible. of the whole, that's the whole process. And then once they're here, they receive all the services of enrolling their kids in school mm-hmm. and, you know, case management around education access and, and getting everything squared away for that employment services, getting them a job as quickly as possible again, like applying for a green card, social security card first, and then green card. Um, And we try to get them to a point of self-sufficiency in five months time. So it's really like put as much support around them as possible and get them to a place where they've secured employment, where they can pay their own rent and, um, and really, you know, really be on their own feet very quickly. So how long is that usually about five months when you guys pull out or how long are you guys usually with the families? Yeah, on average, we give them about five months of support, but we'll continue supporting depending on where they're at at that five month point. You know, we don't rip, rip the rug out from underneath them. We <laughs> yeah, to, it's been five months and one day yeah. you're done. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We try to, you know, wean them off the additional supports that they have through cash assistance or um, you know, housing subsidies. So we slowly wean them off of that as they have secure employment and, you know, have they've, they're able to, um, like I said, pay their own rent and, and pay for their food and everything. But it's really amazing. Many clients are just completely on their own in a year's time. And, um, and by on their own, I, I mean, like, su- you know, sufficient, like self-sufficient, not relying on benefits and, um, they're really, that's why I say, you know, refugees are some of the most resilient human beings that I've ever come across because they, you know, they found a way to not only survive and protect their families, but to flourish and thrive in new communities, despite so many obstacles working against them. That's so incredible. Do you have like a story of a person or family? And I know you probably can't give names or anything like that. Yeah. Just of how RST was able to help them change their lives. Yes. So one thing I wanted to share is, um, I I guess it's kind of twofold because it's what the community has done and, and about our clients too. So I just heard yesterday that some hotel staff in Austin um, had been playing with playing volleyball with the clients after work every day. So when their shift would end, they would um, get together with the with the refugee clients who are temporarily housed in this hotel, you know, and they would play volleyball with them every day after work. And so that that was just wonderful to see that the community really is like stepping in every way that they can to help. Um, I had a couple different organizations, MTO Charity and Color Me Safe in Dallas. They pulled together and created a children's area so that when these moms are doing their sewing or they're coming for case management, they're not having to sit and visit with their caseworker with their kids crawling all over them. It's so stressful. Yes. <laughs> we've all, we've all done that. Doctors we've have all gone that. anywhere with small children is really stressful, but especially when it's a big life change and your whole world has been turned upside down and yes, yes, exactly. So it, it was just so great to have this designated, um, trauma informed children's area. So it has soothing toys that are, you know, sensory, um, sensory toys that are calming for the kids to play with. And 
I had just hung the last picture on the wall and got this whole little area set up and it looked so beautiful. And this Afghan mom came over with her little toddler. He could have been 18 months or so under the age of two. She plopped down on the rug and she began to nurse her baby and she smiled up at me and I smiled at her. And, um, and then when she was done nursing him, she pulled out some blocks and started playing with the blocks with her son. And I saw her husband, he was, you know, visiting with a case manager across the way. And both the parents looked so weary and, you know, just drained. And I could see the sadness in their eyes, um, but she kept smiling at me. And then the little, little boy, he wasn't so sure, you know, what to think of me. And I was wearing a mask. So I pulled down my mask and I started playing peekaboo with him and he smiled so big with his little teeth showing, <laughs> his two, you know, the first two little teeth that a baby has. And, um, yeah, it just, you know, absolutely made my month, the long hours that I'd been working, it made it all worth it to see here they are finally safe, you know, finally starting a new life here. It's probably not what they ever wanted, not what they ever dreamed of, but they are safe and, um, and they can just love on their little baby now and know that they have nothing to fear. Wow. That's amazing. Oh my goodness. Okay. So how can we get involved? Let's just jump in here and spell out all the things. Amazon wish list. That's been one of my favorites. I love that because that's really easy. I can just kind of jump in and donate however much I can at that time. And you guys usually email those out in your newsletters, right? Yes, we do. We email those out in a newsletter. You can sign up on our website. Our website is rstx.org. And I'll put that link in the show notes. I'll have you give me that and I'll put that. Okay. That's awesome. Yep. And probably the best way to follow our work on social media is on our Instagram account, which is at refugee services of Texas, but we're on all social media. We're on Twitter and Facebook and um, and so you can find us in a, in a variety of places, but I would say Instagram, that's like our most recent, um, updates and we keep everything, keep everything up to date there, but yes, you can sign up to volunteer. We have a whole process for that, um, through a platform called volunteer hub and on our website, you can see different ways to get involved. So it has a link for volunteering. And once you go through a volunteer orientation and do a background check, then you're good to go and you can check those opportunities. Um, they, they post, you know, Hey, we need a truck to lug furniture from this city to this city, or, you know, we need um, a hot meal or we need groceries for a family. And so once volunteers are all the way trained up, they can also join private Facebook groups. And that helps us organize the most critical needs. Like here's what, here's what we need today, tomorrow. Um, here's what we're looking for. So between Volunteer Hub and Facebook, we keep our volunteers, you know, pretty up to speed on what's going on. And um, other ways to be involved. Yes, the Amazon wish list are extremely helpful. We post everything from we need a lot of mattresses right now, more mattresses than we ever dreamed we would need. <laughs> um, everything from that and household items to gift cards. And so, you know, don't be discouraged if you see a site that, and we do have it listed by site. So if you're in Dallas and you want to go to the Amazon site in Dallas, um, it'll tell it that that goes to the Dallas site. Um, and of course we share if we have excess of diapers in one location and I can, you know, take diapers down to Austin, I will. Um, so yeah, the Amazon wish list are great. What was I going to say about, oh, gift cards. So if you only see gift cards listed, let me tell you, gift cards are the best gift all the way around because it gives the client autonomy. It gives them agency. They get to go out shop. And this is part of our mission is to provide a dignified welcome And so part of that dignity is, you know, giving them that choice and what they, what they need for their family. And so I love gift cards for that reason. We usually recommend a $25 increment so that, you know, if we have enough, we could give a family two gift cards or even four gift cards. Mm -hmm. But if we're running low, you know, we can equally distribute among our families. 
And so gift cards are a great way to contribute. Um, of course, we always need donations. And I am not shy to ask for money because I know that I know how it's benefiting the clients. I see it firsthand. And so, you know, if you I'm not asking for myself. That's what right. It's different when you're like, give me money. Yes, <laughs> it's totally exactly. different when it's like, please give them money. It's very yes. different. Yeah. Yes. This is life-saving, life-giving work and um in a worthy, worthy cause to donate to. So I am a regular donor to RST myself. And I am not shy about asking people to, you know, to help us meet those financial needs because every resettlement agency operates on shoestring budgets and they're, you know, they're really doing quite the um it's quite the endeavor on very little. Um, so yeah, that's that's probably the best ways to be involved and just you know, if you don't have time or resources, even sharing our post on social media and interacting with, we produce lots of free events for people. Like today on International Human Rights Day, we had an interview with a special immigrant visa holder from Afghanistan, and it was a wonderful interview. And I learned so much about his personal story working alongside of our military. And so we have interviews like that. We have a book club every other month that people can join. I'm kind of obsessed with the book clubs. I think they are just so, well, we've gotten to have the author. I should say that. Oh That's my goodness. Nathan. So are these like virtual events or are you getting together yes. in person? Okay. Yes, they're virtual. So we have people from out of state join. We have people all over Texas join and we've had the author for each book that we featured. And it's just been a foot, like phenomenal conversations with each author. I've learned so much more than I learned from the book itself. So I tell people, oh, yeah. even if you don't have time to read the book, because I know a lot of people don't have time to read right now, just join the book club and listen to the conversation with the author. And you will walk away from it, you know, understanding so much more about um, human trafficking and refugee issues and immigration. And it's just, They've been really, really enjoyable. Um, so yeah, that's a great way for people to be involved too. Wow, I love that. So when they go in to do the apartments, because that was something that was really hot when I was very first interested in it and went yep. through the orientation. One of the and favorite things. Just, like yeah. didn't quite, the stars did not align because I think I was maybe even pregnant or just had a baby. Like there was something that for some reason it wasn't happening, but I would love to jump in there and start doing that. So you like, how do you get the supplies? Do you go out and fundraise and have you get the furniture yourselves or do you guys help yeah. with that? Like, tell me, take me through the apartment setup. <laughs> That's a good question because <laughs> um, normally we might have a welcome team and, and I should mention a lot of our welcome teams are formed by churches. Mm -hmm. And so a church group, you know, their small group might form a welcome team and then they can or they can like organize and orchestrate the whole apartment setup with their, you know, with their fellow um, community members. So normally they might get, all, they have a list of all of the um, essentials for the apartment, the things that we absolutely, absolutely need to provide for the family. And they would fundraise themselves and just do a donation drive. And it's all, you know, basic um, essentials for an apartment and get used furniture from people. You know, it can all, it can be all used donated items. That's normally what happens with the Afghan response. Since we since we set up 55 apartments in five weeks in some places, um, we've had to do it completely differently. And we used Amazon wish list to get all of the household items we needed. And the community from all over the place and even outside the state just got on our Amazon wish list, got the supplies. They were all dropped off at our sites. And then the welcome teams could come and get whatever just supplies they needed right there. And that, that worked out really well. Um, it's not necessarily the, the, a sustainable way for us to move forward. So it'll probably be a combination of things in the future where some of it is donated directly to the organization. And, but mostly we try to have the welcome teams, um, you know, collect the supplies needed themselves. And then, yeah, they get to go in and set it all up and, 
you know, add their special touches, throw pillows and a special toy for the kids. They know the family. Um, they'll be told, you know, this family has three kids. Um, we had a family arrive with, you'll appreciate this. They had, um, 11 children under the age of 13. (laughs) Oh my goodness. (laughs) I can't even imagine. Oh my goodness. Now that is a housing situation because that is like most apartment. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So we had to put them in two Airbnbs, um, while we tried to find a house or apartment that would fit everyone. Um, that's the, that's the largest family unit on average. Our Afghan families have been, um, five, usually about three kids and two adults. So tell me about the Afghan is where my heart's kind of got stirred up with this again. It's when that crisis was happening for all I was of really us. into RST stuff about five years ago, probably at the beginning of like the refugee crisis in Europe, you know, that was kind yeah. of when I, and then I was that's that's what happened. I had a baby in 2017. That's why I wasn't able to just jump into all this stuff. My so seventh. So I was like a crazy major, person, right? Some but, major life event happened. Oh yeah, I had a baby. Somebody was born. I don't know. There's always seemed to be someone born for a while there. But anyway, so anyway, I was just so watching all of this stuff on the news and getting more and more revved up. And I sometimes stay away from the news because it just gets me so emotional let's see what's happening but I just felt so drawn to see what was going on with this story and so I just grabbed a few moms in my neighborhood and we just did this big bake sale and we're like here this is happening right now these people need a place right now and instead of me just throwing in a $50 donation or something we were able to raise a thousand dollars in two days amazing it was amazing amazing. and thank you and thank you to all your friends if any of them are listening that participated in that bake sale people sometimes are reluctant to donate to a nonprofit or you know they think oh well I don't have much to give and I tell people look you know give up your coffee your your coffee uh, you know, two coffees a month for $10 a month, become a $10 a month donor. And it makes a huge difference for an organization like this and doing a bake sale with your friends, putting together a Christmas tree card drive, you know, where everyone contributes a bunch of, of gift cards on this tree and donate it to your local resettlement site. Those things make a huge impact on our work. And we can't, we cannot fulfill our mission without things like that, without a bake sale that ends up really, I mean, that was a significant bake sale. Well, you guys I was so shocked I mean, at people's generosity. Cause I mean, I, you know, it's like, okay, well I can donate, but this is going to be one doctor's visit for someone. This is nothing compared to the needs that need to be here. And we had people just even donating online, people that don't even live here were, you know, let us contribute to this bake sale you know, awesome. so many, it was just so awesome to see the windows just opened and we're just a bunch of moms, you know? Yeah. I have like a food blog and a podcast, but it's not like I'm national news or anything. You know what I mean? It's, no, but the power of, you know, of grassroots organizing. Yeah. yeah. I, so I think cool. there's so much collective power and moms coming together and, you know, there are some incredibly active mom groups around refugee and immigrant issues too. We Welcome um, is a great mom-driven organization. And and then look at me. I got into this work just as a busy mom. But this I is I love that you got heart, into it you know? while they were in preschool. I mean, that's just like, if you really want the time to spend, you can find the time. It's so awesome. Yeah, that's exactly it. I love that. Oh, so great. Anyway, that was just a really powerful experience for me because I just couldn't believe the outpour. And I think sometimes people really want to help. They really genuinely want to do something, but they don't know where to start. So that's one reason I wanted to talk to you today is you've gave so many great ideas of different ways that people that do their time poor or their, maybe their money poor, but they could help go and give of their time, you know? So Mm -hmm. it's just great. I think it's so well, and people can reach out to me too. We'll put in the show notes, my email, because if you have a special idea of something that you think of like, Oh, you know what? Maybe I, like I have this X, Y, Z talent, um, or service to provide or whatever it is, you know, reach out to development staff because that's what we do. You know, to, we, we try to find, we try to match 
um, what someone in the community wants to contribute to the organization to a need within the organization. And there's lots of different ways that people get involved. Like our sewing initiative, we had a fashion designer who's an advanced dressmaker come to us and say, I'll provide the next level up for those women. Once oh, they get through cool this basic that. sewing class, then they can take this advanced dressmaking class. And so, you know, when you get to put together people and needs, it's just magical. I love it. That is awesome. I love it. Oh, all these things. So, so great. Oh, this is just been such a treat for me. I love it. Okay. So let's tell everybody one more time where we can find you guys. Yep. So we are at rstx.org or find us at Refugee Services of Texas on Instagram. And those are, those are the two main places. And then you can search by location on our website and get plugged in with local opportunities. Cause I do encourage people, you know, serve wherever you're planted, <laughs> you know, wherever you land, try to serve your local community. That's definitely the most people efficient way to go about it everywhere. So mm -hmm. you can definitely find it for sure. That's right. That's right. And if you don't know where to start, get on our Amazon wish list with RST. So yes, totally, <laughs> totally. Oh, and speaking of baking, I did. I don't want to forget, and I I mentioned this to oh, you before yes, we started. Yes. This I am actually way excited about this project. Yes, tell yeah, about. Yeah. So one thing that we've done at Refugee Services of Texas for years is have something called a salam supper, um, salam or, or shalom, both meaning peace. And you basically gather friends in your home and you have an RST staff member come over. You have this, you know, just a community dinner and it's a time to share about all of our programs and services and our mission, the work that we do. It's not a fundraiser. It's just, let's gather around a table. Let's talk about this important work. And last year um, we decided it would be amazing to publish a cookbook featuring 25 countries um, with dis displaced chefs, so refugees, asylees. Um, I think there's some survivors of human trafficking featured in the cookbook as well. And so they get to share their favorite family recipe in this cookbook. And that cookbook's coming out this spring, fingers crossed by March. And, um, and we'll get to do lots of different cookbook events around the launch of, of, of the cookbook. So perhaps you're tied in with an art gallery and you want to have um, a wine and, um, you know, cookbook appetizer drink night, you know, and feature pictures from the cookbook because it is going to be gorgeous. I have seen the, the food photography from it and it's going to be such a beautiful coffee table book. Um, but maybe you just want to have a group of friends in your home, gather your mom friends around and have a dinner and um, we'll bring the cookbook to sell. And we'll even in some cases, we can arrange for one of the chefs like in the Dallas area. One of our Dallas chefs could come and do a, a food event uh, at a church in a home. So we're really That's excited so cool. about all oh the my possibilities goodness. with this cookbook. Our, our whole thing is going to center around food and community going into 2022, which isn't that what we need after 2020 and 2021, the more food and gathering of community, the better. I'm like almost in tears. This is just like what I feel like helping of happiness is all about. It's about gathering people, gathering food. Food is such a big part of our lives, whether that's just gathering our family around the dinner table, whether that's gathering people that are refugees and they just need somewhere safe to be or gathering our friends. I think it, the power of gathering is something that we just have always taken for granted a little bit. I think this whole pandemic yeah. has shown us how important it really is. At least it has yes. to me. And Absolutely. I, I'm just so excited because I think what a great way to get to know the culture of these people and to love them in a way that we didn't understand them before by eating their mm -hmm. food and learning their stories. And oh, I can't wait. I this totally is agree. So, and I, so cool. You know, I, I tell, I share with people too, to be, you know, you don't have to be a trained psychologist, um, you know, just connecting with another human being face to face, sharing a meal it heals all of us, um, but especially those who have undergone very traumatic circumstances and, and hold a lot of trauma in their bodies. 
And so I can't think of a, a better way forward for all of us than, you know, to connect face to face. Love it. Okay. Do you have a few minutes for our helpful and happy questions or are you? Of course. Okay. Is, you know, yes, I love talking about my work, but this is the fun. These fun are part. fun too. Okay. So I love to do these because it t- ties the podcast in with our blog, which covers food and, um, traveling and like family life, which is just kind of my whole world. So that's why I love to share about all these ideas with other people. So great. I love it. Off, what is your favorite food or meal? Okay. Well, I couldn't think of a favorite food, but my favorite meal is by far Thanksgiving. Oh. And this does tie into my work because um, again, a few years ago, we decided that as our, as a family who's lived in different locations overseas and in different cities, we had started opening up our home to new Americans every Thanksgiving and kind of reclaiming the holiday, a holiday that some might see as the start of a genocide in this country could be reclaimed as bringing communities together of new Americans and showing them American traditions and traditional food, but showing them welcome. So instead of like, here we come and we're displacing the population. No, here we are together. We all belong here. Let's have a shared meal. So we put on our Facebook, our family's, you know, personal account, um, all are welcome. Please join us for Thanksgiving. And we've had eight different countries represented around our table in a tiny little thousand square foot apartments in Cambridge, Massachusetts. <laughs> we've had, you know, that to this year was our last year was the first year we were alone. And that was so sad. And then this year we had four different countries represented in our home. And it's just become, I mean, you can imagine it's like the most special holiday for me personally to gather around a table, look into each other's eyes and say, you know, we belong here. We're so glad you're here for many of them. It's their first Thanksgiving, which Mm -hmm. is so special. And then I just love Thanksgiving food. I actually really enjoy cooking it and preparing it and love the taste of it. So I have a lot of fun. I love this. That is such a neat idea. What a neat thing to teach your kids. I mean, that's so incredible. My kids have really come to, you know, they they love it. Yeah. Yeah. They anticipate it. They love it. They ask, you know, who, what countries are going to come this year? That is so cool. Oh, I just want to teach my kids about all culture and all those things. That just sounds so neat. Yeah, and how neat for them to meet these people from these places. That's so incredible. Yep. Yep. It's been really great. My 13 year old spent hours in conversation with a couple from China and it was their first Thanksgiving this year. And he, you know, he talked about, um, economic issues and communism and all kinds of things for hours on Thanksgiving afternoon. And, you know, I just loved it. Wow. So cool. Okay. Whew. All right. What's the best trip you've ever been on or your dream vacation or both if you can't decide? Oh man. Well, the best trip I've ever gone been on, we lived in Israel for three years. Oh, Israel. I love Israel. I went there as a teenager just a couple okay, of weeks. So you know it never enough. Oh, it's the best. It's so it's amazing. The best. And if everyone has a chance to like whoever's listening, if you've ever thought about going and just you've been go. on the fence about it, just go. Just go. It's incredible. The people are incredible. The food is incredible. It's amazing to to see scripture in context, really in context. Oh, you'll uh, never read the Bible the same ever yes, again. Yes, yeah. that's what I've always said. You, I never read my Bible the same after our three years there. Three years. I can't even imagine. That would just be such a dream. How I loved it. And we would love to take our kids back. We actually have not been able to take the children back yet. And Ethan, my oldest, was born over there. So Oh um, no way. Yeah. Yeah. He moved back to the States when he was two and a half. So we're just dying to go back with the whole family. That that's my dream. My dad took all of us. I mean, there's us three girls. So we all went. It was so cool. He's got Jewish ancestry and he's got Christian. And so my, my grandpa was a Messianic Jew. So he went to synagogue, all that. And so it was just so cool to see that all in practice. And I don't know, it's just, it's not like anywhere else. It's so cool. I love it. I I completely agree. 
So yeah, whenever I can get back there, I will. Oh, <laughs> uh, I'll come. I'll come with you. Maybe we should go together. <laughs> you can handle handle my huge group. <laughs> it'll be a whole. It'll be a whole tour. A whole tour of us will fill. the best. Oh, I love it. Okay, do you have a home or family hack for us to finish it up? Oh my goodness, I have so many, and you know, people are only hearing my voice. But first off, cut off all your hair. <laughs> Okay. Which your hair is so cute. I actually, oh, so I have, it. I have no hair. And a few years ago, I went from having really, really long blonde hair that I spent a lot of time on every week to having no hair at all. And, um, it saved about four hours in my week. And to me, it's probably one of my, my best life hacks so far, because now I just, you know, I show up as myself in the world every day, <laughs> not messing with my hair, um, much like a man gets to do. So it's, uh, wow, it's really you're nice. beautiful. It looks so great. And I love that you say it that way. Well, I, you know, sometimes as women, I think we do have to like strip away everything that we think we have to be for everyone else and just remind ourselves of who we are inside. And so whatever we can do to like, let go of the external pressures and external stuff is really helpful. And speaking of external pressures, the other life hack, you know, people ask me all the time, how do, how do I work full time? Um, have four kids. Um, I'm also a competitive athlete. I'm a triathlete. Awesome. And, um, and they say, you know, how do you do it? Well, I'm really clear on our family values and every family's values are totally different. So our family isn't involved in a lot of extracurricular activities. My kids don't play organized sports. Oh, the horror in Texas. <laughs> no, I think that's fan- that was my favorite part about the pandemic is that that all got stripped away. I loved it so much. And I just... Oh, it was just such a precious time. I hate all the run around. It kills me. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I just, I don't have time to do that. So I tell my kids, um, and and, you know, luckily I haven't had, uh, none of my kids have just been begging mommy, please let us play, you know, whatever. (laughs) So that might change the conversation. If I, you know, if I end up having one that's really interested in a particular sport, but I tell them, you know, you can throw a football outside, you can play basketball in the driveway, um, kick soccer ball around with your friends, but mommy is serving the refugee population right now. And to do that, I can't run to a million different practices. Um, and I do work really, I, I work long hours. So, you know, that just has to be that way, but I'm clear on, on my own values. And so it, it's not, it's not like a, I don't feel torn about it. Mm-hmm. Same as like, I'm not a Pinterest mom. I don't get to make cute little cupcakes and, you know, and wrap my packages. <laughs> I showed my kids this um, holiday gift guide for wrapping your kids packages. And they were like bear ears. And, um, you know, as all these packages that were uniquely curated and it, each package was its own craft design. And I thought, Oh, merciful heavens. <laughs> you know, who in the world has time for this, but you know, that might bring joy to a mom and that may be something that she absolutely loves doing and it is life giving to her and it energizes her. God bless her. (laughs) That's great. Um, that's not, that's not how, you know, that's not what is life giving to me. Well, and, and I so, love that you know that about yourself. Cause I think that that's really important that if it isn't giving you joy, just give it up. Yep. You can, yep. you can, you can be like me and just recycle your same gift bags over yeah. and over and over and just putting more tape on those suckers. And, you know, it's the wrapping paper might have to work for a couple of things, but it's just a Sharpie on the top to kid love mom or whatever it is. It's not. There's nothing fancy going on. Yeah. And they tear right into it and that's fine. (laughs) Yeah. I'd rather go on a trip, honestly. Let's go somewhere and have some time together than worry about. But I know that it's just different for every one of us. And I love that you know that about yourself. I think that that is such a good thing for us all to figure out. You're exactly right, though. You just have to know yourself and to be, you know, be clear about who you are and what you value for yourself and your family. And then it's not such a hard decision where you feel so much anxiety or angst over it. Yeah. Um, or pressure from others. I love how yes. you brought that up. Yes, exactly. And then the other two hacks, see, I have so many hacks because you have to as a busy mom. Um, the other two things really quick. 
HelloFresh has like mm. saved my family's life recently. So my 13 year old makes the meals from scratch. Oh, I love kids in loves, the kitchen. That's so great. Yes. He loves preparing them. The kids are actually trying things that they've never tried before. And it's been more economical for our family size than when I'm buying groceries and preparing from scratch meals. So it's actually worked out really, really well. So I mean, that's my latest obsession. And then I will end with podcast podcast or a life hack because they entertain me while I'm folding clothes. They entertain me while I'm commuting. They entertain me while I'm exercising. <laughs> so, um, you know, and you can find whatever you're passionate about and listen to that. Oh, yeah. And it's yeah. just, yeah, makes me so happy. I love them too. And I love that I can pick ones that I'm super just plain entertainment value and some that I'm learning a lot from. There's a lot of history podcasts that I really love too, or news, awesome. or just different, you know, spiritual, whatever it is that you feel like you need at that moment, you can have it. So, and I'm honored that whoever's listening to this, plug this podcast into their little queue because it really is an honor to be able to serve. So thank mm-hmm. you for coming on here so that I had thank you so much this for conversation to share. I've just been thinking about you guys for a long time and I'm really glad that we got it together. So you're doing amazing. Well, thank things. you. Thank you for your support as a refugee services of Texas supporter, but also as a fellow mom, just knowing that other moms are out there, you know, sharing, sharing the same humanitarian values and raising yeah. children that are going to be light and hope in this world. So I appreciate you and, and the sacrifice that you're making as a mother to make our world a little better. Thank you, Caitlin. Thank you so much.